after I graduated from Indiana Wesleyan, I went on to Princeton Seminary. And I loved my time at Princeton, but one of the things that really drove me crazy was the way that they had all these fancy schmancy names for ordinary things. So we didn't have a records office. We had a registrar. And we didn't have a bookstore. We had a theological book agency. It's very exciting. But uh, my final year of seminary, I had a part-time job, and uh, my job was as a wedding sexton. That's S-E-X-T-O-N. And, and despite the exotic-sounding name that might have, it actually had nothing to do with what it might suggest, thankfully. Um, <laughs> my job as a chapel sexton was essentially to show up at weddings and just make sure that things ran smoothly. I was there behind the scenes, uh, making sure that the bride had breath mints and didn't have lipstick on her teeth. I'd, I'd hand out water bottles or uh, um, calm down mothers that were starting to freak out a little bit. I once got to kick out a photographer. That was very exciting. Um, I think my moment of glory, though, my, my one moment in the spotlight was one particular wedding. There were these two groomsmen, and they were, they were coming down the aisle with, with one of those aisle runner things, those big rolls of tape paper. It looks like some huge toilet paper roll or something. And they're, they're coming down the aisle with this, and they get all the way to the end, and apparently they put it on backwards because instead of flipping under, it flipped up. So I'm watching the bride as she's starting to go out there, and she's got her big dress, and as she's walking, her dress is gathering up all this paper with her, and she's got these huge billows under her dress. And so I quick ran out there, and I pulled the paper down, and she, she went off, and it was, it was fine, but that was my little moment in the spotlight. Very exciting. But I've, I've, had, I've had my fair share of weddings, including my own. I, I married my husband, John, and that wedding went pretty well, although they, <laughs> the bakery sent the wrong cake. Um, it was actually a really, really ugly cake. And it was a little disappointing at the time, but I guess it doesn't matter if you've got the cake wrong, if you've got the right guy, so. And I certainly <laughs> did. When Christ returns, there's going to be a wedding. When Christ returns, he's going to come and marry his bride. We read about this in Ephesians 5. You, you don't need to turn there if you have your Bibles. You can just listen. This is from Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When Christ returns, there's going to be a wedding. Now, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that this is a profound mystery. I imagine there's a lot of you girls right now that are hearing this whole thing of Christ coming back, marrying the church, and you're thinking, oh, that's so romantic. And there's probably a lot of you guys who are hearing this going, oh, that's so creepy. <laughs> and if you're, if you're in that creepy category, if you're in that, boy, I don't really understand what this means. I'm a guy. This is kind of creeping me out a little bit. What's going on? If you're in that category, that's okay. Paul says this is a mystery. This is supposed to be a little confusing. This isn't supposed to make complete sense. So if you're kind of weirded out by this passage, that's okay. You're in a good spot. When Christ returns, he's going to marry his bride. He's going to marry you. 
not, well, not you or you, but you, all of you. There's going to be a wedding. Yeah, this is a bit of a mystery. And one of the reasons why I personally find this so mysterious is because sometimes I look at the church, sometimes I look at the bride, and I wonder, is Jesus marrying the right woman? I mean, I'm an ordained pastor, as, as Dr. Lennox mentioned, and, and there are times when I'm just bored with the church. I'd, I'd rather be watching reruns of 24 than necessarily showing up at, at a church service. And I, I think back to when I was making my, my Santa Claus wish list of what I wanted in a husband, and a, a boring personality was definitely not at the top of that list. Sometimes I just find church boring. Or sometimes it's not even boring, boredom. Sometimes... Sometimes I'm kind of turned off by the church and the sin that I see in the church. I've seen a number of Christian leaders go through moral failures. I've seen people in the pews that are so hypocritical. Sometimes it seems like the the lost people out on the street are more loving than the people in the pews. And I wonder, Jesus, is is this the woman that you want to marry? Maybe it's not boredom. Maybe it's not sin that's turning you off. Maybe it's just the fact that the church feels so institutionalized. You've got boards and budgets and committees and it just doesn't feel spiritual and and you don't want to join the church for fear that you're going to be just warped into the man or something like that. There's problems in the church. And I suppose that's why there's a lot of people right now in North America who are leaving the church. By the hundreds, by the thousands, people are, are leaving the church to pursue their own private, personal, seemingly purer relationship with God. I mean, why go to church on a Sunday morning when I can go out to the woods for an hour and feel closer to God? I can pull out my my favorite worship music on my iPod. I can get a podcasted sermon on a topic that the Holy Spirit seems to be convicting me of that week. I can can go off by myself over here, have my own little worship time, my own little sermon time, uh, even have my own little communion, or as my students like to call this, snack time with Jesus, I won't, I won't tell you what they call baptism. You can probably figure that out. But I can come on over here and have my own private, personal relationship with God. So let's say I decide to leave the church. I decide I don't want to be associated with that hypocritical, judgmental bride. So I come over here by myself, and at, at first glance, this seems like a good place to be. Because when the bride's over there ripping off her veil, spitting on the guests, and making a fool out of herself, I have absolutely nothing to do with her. I can rest easy because when people see her, they're not going to see me. And at first glance, this looks like a good place to be. But there's a problem with this seat. Because if I'm not the bride, I can't enter into the marriage with Christ. If I'm not the bride, I... I can't expect to have a seat next to the groom. If I'm a guest, I'm not the bride. That was pretty high logic there. The bride isn't perfect. I know that. You know that. God knows the bride isn't perfect. That's why he's washing her. That's why why we've got the Apostle Paul 
saying things like, Christ gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God doesn't expect the church to be perfect right now, otherwise he wouldn't be washing her. You don't wash something that's already clean. You don't lay down your life to sanctify something that's already been sanctified. The church is far from being perfect, and yet Jesus loves her. When Jesus sees the bride, he, he is so overcome with love. He thinks, I love that hypocritical, snarling bride so much, I'm going to lay down my life for her to make her holy. I don't know why Jesus chose the church as his bride, but he did. He is so crazy in love with an institution that sometimes I'm tempted to wash my hands of. When I unabashedly criticize the church, I might as well be saying, yeah, you know what? You might be worth Jesus' blood, but you're not worth my respect. When I'm criticizing the church, it's like saying, you might be worth Christ giving up his life for, but you're not worth an hour of my time this week. The church isn't perfect. I know that. You know that. God knows that. The funny thing is, if I'm the bride, if I'm the church, when I criticize the church, it's just like I'm criticizing myself. If the church is worth living for, the church has got to be worth living for. The church is worth dying for. The church is worth living for. Have you ever seen this happen? Have you ever seen a guy that's just so overwhelmed in love with a girl? In fact, well, there's probably someone here. Is, is someone here that would be willing to put their hand up and say that they are just crazy in love with someone? Okay, I saw this hand pop up over here first. What, what's your name? Josh. And Josh, who are you in love with? Erica. And does Erica know this, or is this your romantic way of telling her? <laughs> <laughs> she knows. Okay, good. Josh, what would you do if some of your friends just really started bashing her right in front of you? It wouldn't be pretty, okay, I mean, we won't go further into that. <laughs> Imagine now criticizing Christ's bride. Jesus knows his bride isn't perfect, but you better believe he's going to stick up for her. You better believe he's going to speak up in her defense. You do not want to get between Christ and his woman. So what? Do we just, do we just grit our teeth and, and decide that we're going to be a part of this hypocritical institutional beast? Well, no, and I, and I want to make that clear. I'm not, I'm not telling you to just throw your standards out the window. But I am saying, if you are the bride, if you are committed to being a part of the bride, then you can, you can do things like look in the mirror and pull the spinach out from the bride's teeth. You can make sure that the bride is walking the right way down the aisle and not heading out towards the door. You can make sure that she's focused on the right husband and not going off after some other lover. You can volunteer in Sunday schools and in youth groups and train the next generation so that they can know what the bride of Christ is supposed to look like. 
You can serve on boards and committees and offer your own thoughts to iron out the wrinkles of this bride's dress. This doesn't mean that you're forever bound to a specific community. Uh, a few years back, my husband John and I were, had just started worshiping at a new church plant. And uh, we had kind of some, some strange, strange vibes coming out from this church. We weren't quite sure this was the community that we, were, we wanted to be a part of. And that was actually confirmed a few weeks later when, when the pastor preached an entire sermon on uh, mold and fungus. We, we took that as our sign that maybe we should go and find a new community. So we did. We left this community, went to another community, and, and got plugged in with a, with a youth group. But find a church where the gospel is being preached and then make it better. You, you can't be neutral on this point. You're either going to participate in the church's demise or the church's sanctification. Find a community where the gospel is being preached and get plugged in and build up the bride Christ. Christ loved the church. Christ gave himself up for the church. Don't, don't be a disgruntled guest. Be the bride. Hear now this vision of marriage between Christ and the church as recorded by John in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do not separate yourself from the bride. For your sake, do not separate yourself from the bride. For God's sake, do not separate yourself from the bride. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing to make us holy, for laying down your life that you might sanctify us. Sanctify us, Lord. Wash us. Cleanse us. Iron out these wrinkles. Make us into your bride, Lord. Keep us walking down the right aisle. Keep our eyes focused on you. And Lord, those times when we're tempted to wash our hands of the church, God, woo us back with your love. May we be your bride, Lord. 
May we be able to participate in this wedding ceremony, in this wedding banquet with you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.